Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 98th program in this series. I'm presently in John chapter 16, verse 33. In verse 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And in the previous message, I was spending time speaking about the second part of this verse when Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation. And in the previous program, I was speaking about the subject of control. Predestination, the idea that God is in total control of everything. There is no maverick molecule in the universe. Everything is predestined. We live by the concept of destiny and that our life experience is a conscious experience of discovering the destiny of God for our lives. And I explained that this is the most popular view in the world, in the Christian world as well, that this is the natural conclusion that a person would come to if they were to ponder the question, if there is a God, if they were to ponder that question, if there is a God, and they would begin to try and define what they believe God should be, what he would be like, this philosophical exercise will lead a person to the point of view that he is in total absolute control over everything. He decides everything because if he wasn't in total control to that degree, then we could say that he's not really God. And there are other things that people conclude, such as God cannot have any feelings. He cannot have any emotions because if he does, well, then we could have power over God because, of course, we can make him upset. We can make him angry. We can do that by definition. And so these definitions that people establish eventually come to these kinds of conclusions that are contrary to who he really is. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to discover the true nature of God and to understand his participation in the world that he created without his spirit dwelling within you to express these things, to define these things for you, to help you understand these kinds of things. From what I can tell, there really is no other way to know him in the context of a living God, a relational God, without his divine intervention in a person's life to help them to grow to understand that. So what happens is, is that most people come up with this definition for God or they go to school, they go to a seminary, and then this is taught to them. This is the predominant view in the theological seminaries that we have in the world that we have always had, 
that they teach philosophy that is a Christianized version of pagan Greek philosophy. And I explained this more in the previous message. What happens is that people believe in a God that is not the real God. They believe in a different kind of God. And this God is the equivalent of a God of stone. Again, people are taught and they believe in a God that is the equivalent of a God of stone. When you have a God who has decided all things, who is in control of all things, that is similar to a God who cannot be moved, who cannot be influenced, who cannot be persuaded, who you can't relate to. He might as well be a rock. He might as well be a rock. Or he can be a God who is so far out there in the heavens and he has decided everything well in advance that there's no reason for him to participate at all. He can just go and do other God things because he's already worked everything out. He's already predetermined and predestined everything. And so he doesn't even have to be around. He can just be out there in the heavens someplace. He can stay in the place of unapproachable light where he can just simply dwell there. There's no reason for him to be involved in our lives in a personal way because the way that he has predetermined everything, there really is no reason for that. There's no purpose for that. And so, again, he becomes the equivalent of a god of stone. What are you going to say to him? How are you going to relate to him? What is this relationship going to be about when he has already decided everything? There is no relationship. This is not the way that God has presented himself. Just look at the example that we have in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. Look at the way that he related to people. Look at the way that he related to Abraham. Look at the way that he related to the children of Israel and how he responded to them, how there was a response, how there was a relational experience. You can see many examples of this being the case. Even though I understand most of the theologians in the history of the church have spiritualized these things to such an extent that they make excuses or they come up with explanations just to have one, just so that people can say, oh, well, you know, we got an explanation for that. And so because an explanation exists, well, that means it must be true. And that's just plain intellectual dishonesty. That's all it is. So, in effect, what people believe in is similar to a god of stone, one who cannot be moved, one who you can't even relate to. There is nothing to relate. There's absolutely nothing. And I understand that people have tried to compensate by saying, well, yeah, there is, there's this and there's that, but that is a discussion. That is a discussion that I've had with a lot of different people. I would encourage you to have these kinds of discussions. I'm certainly not going to be able to address all the different potential conversations that could take place. I'm just speaking about this from a general point of view to move you in a different direction if you're not already in that direction. And to understand that there can be a God who is relational and who is a participant in our lives who allows us the freedom to make decisions on our own. I certainly do see that God predestines many things. That is clear. He predestined a group of people to be saved. 
just by defining the new covenant. The people who believe differently will say that God has predetermined individuals. I will say that he has predetermined a collective, a collective group of people. So there are a lot of discussions that can take place from this, but I'm not able to do that in an exhaustive sense, of course, in these radio programs. All I can do is introduce a different point of view and try to emphasize the significance of this because you can easily end up with a God who is no different than a God of stone. Now, let me go back to the subject of when a person first gets saved or they first turn to God. Often this happens because they are experiencing significant tribulations in their life and they realize that they could really use some divine intervention because they might find themselves in situations where they really can't do anything about the suffering and the tribulations they are encountering. And so they will turn to God in this change of life because of this disruption that has occurred in their lives. And as they begin to choose, they begin to decide to redefine their lives. People will decide, they will choose to maybe include a little bit of God in their life in some way. When they do this, as I said, they're often motivated because they want God's divine intervention, because they want him to do something for them. But what happens when he doesn't? When he doesn't do what they need him to do or what they would like him to do, when he doesn't do that, he doesn't deliver the blessings. He doesn't deliver the promises that were made to them. He doesn't deliver the divine intervention. They have a choice, another choice. They can choose to reject God, and it turns out that a lot of people do. A lot of people just reject God, I would say, considering the number of people who I have had exposure to in the world, I would say the overwhelming majority of people have rejected God when they gave him a chance, they gave him an opportunity to bless them, to do something in their lives, to show that he's real, and he didn't deliver, so they used that as their excuse to turn away and reject, perhaps, the existence of God entirely. However, there has always been and always will be a few people who will look at the circumstance and they will say, you know, maybe I have a misunderstanding. Maybe there is something that I don't really see, I don't really know, I don't really get. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe there's nothing wrong with God at all. Maybe there's some confusion here. And they make a decision to pursue him by first holding on to the belief that he does exist, and as they pursue an additional knowledge of him, they say to themselves, and they may even say to God, I seem to be a little confused. I don't seem to understand, but I want to. When a person wants to know their God, when they really do want to have a relational experience with him, and they are willing to pursue him even with the understanding that he may never bless them. He might not help them get through this tribulation in the way that they would like. But they still recognize that he is God and that they want to know him. When a person will continue in that direction, 
well, then you have a person who's definitely a candidate to be saved. If they're not already, they they likely are saved. But however that works out, this is a person who will move in the direction. They will move in the direction to see, well, what else does he have to offer? What does he really have to offer me if this is the case? If I was confused about what I thought he would offer, well, then what is there? And they pursue him and some will discover that he has given to us an inheritance in Christ Jesus as a result of his death. That his desire for us in the context of his will for our lives, there certainly can be some aspect of his desire for us in the context of what is his will for us, that he would like certain things on an individual basis. But that's an individual experience, and so I can't address those things. But what I can address that is true for everyone is that his will is also the description of an inheritance that he has given to us in Christ Jesus. He has given to us his forgiveness. He has given to us his love. He has given to us his acceptance. He has given to us meaning and understanding and purpose In our lives, these are things that he gives. And in the midst of the tribulations that we experience in life, he has wonderful opportunities to show these things to us, to show who he is to us, to show us how he relates to us in the midst of these things. And we can understand what it means to be forgiven. We can understand what it means to be loved and accepted. And we can understand the meaning and purpose that he gives us in our lives as he shares with us what he sees and what he understands about the world that we are a part of so that we can see the world through his eyes, so that we can hear the world through his ears. And in these ways, we will have a God who will walk with us through the tribulations of life, who will enter into our lives and who will be a part of our lives as we go through the tribulations and the sufferings that we experience. And so while most people will look for a God who will solve all these tribulations, who will solve all these problems, who will rescue them from whatever difficulties they are having, There are some people who will see him for who he is, which is a God who will walk with us through the tribulations of life, through the sufferings of life, who will reveal so much to us that we will value the tribulations and the sufferings because we have a God who showed us something about himself that he most likely would have never shown us about who he is unless he walked with us through these difficult times in our life experience. So, of course, most people will not make it this far, but some will, and this is what makes it worth it. This is what makes all of this worth it to God, because some will. Some will discover him. Some will grow to know him more for who he really is. And in this way, there will be some who will have a genuine, sober-minded, truthful, 
real, interactive relationship with their God. Now, I'm going to go ahead and continue into the last part of this verse, verse 33, when Jesus said, But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So in the midst of all these tribulations that he says that we, we're going to have, we're going to experience, says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have already overcome the world. All right, so there will be opportunities for us to be of good cheer, for us to have some sense of joy in the midst of the tribulations that we have because he has overcome the world. Well, we're going to have to define what that means. What does that mean to say that he has overcome the world. How has he overcome the world? Especially when we consider that we're in the midst of all these tribulations that we certainly could use some help in overcoming. What does that really mean? We need to spend some time defining what that means to say that he has overcome the world. Before I get into that, though, I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about the idea of having joy, of being of good cheer in the midst of these tribulations. And to speak about this, I'd like to speak about this from my own personal point of view. I'm not going to give a theological or philosophical argument concerning this. In this case, I think it's better for me to just give you my own personal testimony concerning having joy and having cheer in the midst of tribulations. Because I have experienced enough tribulations in life that I can have some conviction concerning this. I want you to know that I remember the kinds of tribulations that I experienced when I did not know my God and the kinds of tribulations that I experienced when I was first beginning to get to know him just a little bit. And I have experienced a lot of tribulations in life, as I'm sure many of you can relate to. But with the ones that I encountered, the ones that I experienced early on, I certainly did not enjoy at all. I had no joy whatsoever. You want me to to be of good cheer when it comes to this? You want me to have joy in the midst of this? I don't think so. I didn't have any of that. All I had was pain and suffering and the feeling of death as things that I had in my life and as dreams that I had would just die. The way that things were, were definitely not the way I wanted things to be. And in those early years when I was pursuing my God and wanting to know who He really is, I didn't know who He really was. I didn't understand too much about Him. But what I did discover was that after the tribulations and the difficulties that I experienced, in my case, after these things were over, the Lord would reveal things to me about what I experienced, about what I encountered, just a little bit here and there. But those things were meaningful. They were meaningful enough that I was thankful, eventually. I was thankful for the tribulations that I encountered. Yeah, after God explained something to me that seemed to be worth the effort, worth the struggle, worth the trauma, that over a period of time, God would share enough with me, give me enough wisdom, insight, understanding about the world that I was a part of and about him as a person, that there was just enough that I could say, okay, fine. I suffered 
But you know, I have something to show for it. And so when the next tribulations came, when the next struggles came in my life experience, I could start to have a sense of anticipation. Just a little bit. Just a little bit of anticipation to know that God is going to do something with this. He's going to find a way to bring some good out of this. When he said he will cause all things to work together for good, well, I've seen him do that well enough with some things. And so as I am now experiencing this kind of difficulty, all of this awful stuff happening in my life, I have been through this enough to know that he is going to bring about some good when it comes to this, and I can anticipate this just a little bit. After a few more of these experiences, I would encounter huge, serious tribulations. And in the midst of these new challenges and difficulties and complete changes of life, whereas I'm going to restructure and redefine everything about my life existence, it seems. During these new occasions, after going through enough of these cycles of no tribulation to tribulation to no tribulation to tribulation, after enough of these cycles, after enough of these transitions, enough of these experiences, I discovered that when I would experience some new ones that were definitely so much more difficult, so much more painful than what I experienced in any time in my life before, in some ways I could even say collectively altogether, during these times I found that in the midst of these experiences, in the midst of these tribulations, I still had a sense of peace and a sense of joy and a sense of cheer because of the excitement of what I just knew God was going to show me about himself next. I didn't know what it would be, but I knew that there would be something. And he has never disappointed me. In some ways, I could even suggest that the magnitude of the tribulation was met with a similar magnitude of revelation. Not always, but in some cases I could say that. And so I am still in this world. I am still physically alive. And I just have this suspicion that in my future years from the time when I am presenting this right now, that there will probably be some new, really big tribulations really big sufferings that are going to come. But I have been through this enough. I've been through all of this enough to know that I can have a sense of peace and joy and even a partial sense of excitement about the sufferings that are coming my way really soon because I can trust, because I know that my God is going to use these experiences in ways that he will overcome the tribulations and the suffering by increasing the relationship between he and I personally. He will use these things in ways that I cannot even begin to imagine now, but they will be revealed to me one day. And that is a way that he overcomes the world, that I know, 
that I can personally testify of. And this is something that I hope everyone will experience to some degree, not because I hope that they experience suffering and tribulation, but I do hope in a genuine way, in a genuine sense, that you will embrace your own personal sufferings and tribulations and difficulties in life, no matter how they may end for you, no matter what the results and whatever the consequences may be, that you will still keep your heart where it belongs, which is with your God, that you will hear him, that you will be attentive, that you will be patient, that you will wait, and that you will embrace what he will be able to show you in the midst of these difficulties that you are experiencing or that you will experience in your life while you are here in this world. So we have a God who has overcome the world. We can be of good cheer. And this is something I can testify of as a living experience. As a living experience. He has overcome the world and he will continue to overcome the world in these ways. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 98th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 16, verse 33, and I was speaking a little bit more about the consequences of believing in a God who has total control over everything. That one of the consequences can be that you relate to your God as if your God is a God of stone who has no emotions, who is immovable, a kind of God who you can't really relate to. He's nothing more than a rock. That this can end up being the result of these kinds of beliefs. In addition to that, I move forward towards the end of verse 33, where Jesus spoke about having joy or being of good cheer in the midst of the tribulations that you were having. And I gave an example of how this can take place when you consider what your God will do in your life and in your heart as a consequence or as a result of the tribulations that you experience, that he may relate to you some things about himself. He may help you to understand things about the world that you never would have been able to understand unless he used those tribulations that you experienced in order to show you these things. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net